Welcome to the Long-Term Care Chronicles podcast. Here we are. Uh, I'm Helena Nielsen, and I am the chair of Bendale Family Council. I'm also um, a very um, pleased uh, executive member of the newly formed uh, Family Council's Collaborative Alliance. And we're here um, to, to interview a family member. And I'd like to turn it over to you now. Maybe you can introduce yourself and, and uh, where your loved one is right now. Uh, my name is Susan Mills. Uh, I have a mother that is in the Grove in Armfrier in the long-term care nursing home um, and has been for uh, 15 months now. Okay. Uh, I have a few questions. Maybe we could deal with those questions first, and then I would very much like to hear, once you've got your responses to the questions, perhaps some um, some comments from you with respect to the, uh, the newest uh, announcements from the ministry. Um, the first one is, when did you first learn about the, the virus, um, that this was a serious pandemic, and also um, by what means did you did you learn that we may have a problem? Uh, so I first learned in probably late January when the media started covering it in China. And then it was really more tuning into it when it spread to Italy, Spain, um, those areas. And it was all through the media. Yeah. Well, did you feel that during that time you were given sufficient information um, uh, and, and, you know, that, that was shared by our policymakers uh, and from the home, um, and was it shared basically in a timely manner? Did not receive any information from the home. Uh, it was just all through the media. Um, the only thing that came through the home was just a couple days before we were locked out. Uh, then they put screening protocols in place. Okay. Well, do you feel that our governments and the, the home um, especially where your mother is, acted uh, quickly once, once in fact, that uh, uh, that information was out um, to contain the virus. Did they act quickly? I think they could have acted quicker in some respects. I get the initial lockdown. Um, it should probably have been done earlier. And, uh, but not only with locking down family locking out family, but also with the staff too, working at the different locations. If you're locking out family, then you should have locked down the home totally as opposed to letting it go on with staffing. Interesting. Do you feel that our institutions were really equipped to deal with such a very, such a serious outbreak? Uh, no, <laughs> I don't think the pandemic planning that should have been in place was actually in place. Obviously with the PPE, the infection control, I think the infection control uh, plays a huge part. And also um, the wardrooms, the four to a room, and there's nowhere you could shift anybody. Mm. So mm. I think that there had to be, it, we had mm. to do better. Yes, yes. Going back to the testing you were, you were talking about, do you feel that we were testing in a timely manner, um, both staff and, and residents, and were the results provided in a timely fashion, um, in your opinion? In my opinion, no. No testing was done until early May. 
so this was March that we were locked out. And so we only started testing early May, the results we were made aware of, but if that's the most vulnerable population, then perhaps testing could have been done earlier. Mm -hmm. Yes. I think we're hearing that a lot, aren't we? Yes. Um, do you feel that the, um, uh, like confident that your home had enough staff to care for their residents? No, no because uh, they were short staffed before. Uh, that's why we as family mm -hmm. did a lot and then you're locked out as family caregivers and they're obviously short staffed. Um, they have hired six new staff. Uh, so obviously they were not staffed enough. So these six new staff, were they hired permanently or are they just on a temporary basis there? I don't have any, any information on that. We were just provided a list that they've hired six new staff. Well, this has gone on for quite a while, and as a family member, um, how have you and your family been coping with the separation of your loved ones? How have... It has been extremely difficult. Um, I do a window visit every day at 10.30. So I go down, stand outside her window, and the staff, who have been very, very, very good with us, um, they put the phone on speaker and I just talked to her for a few minutes. Is she on the ground floor? Is she that is one? luckily oh, on the ground floor. Yes, yes, um, yes. But they are building a new home and most of the residents are on the second floor. So I am lucky in that respect that she is on the ground floor and it's only like three minutes from my house. So, but I have a standing 10.30 appointment with her. Um, I have noticed the deterioration. Uh, there is no way they can give the support that the individuals need because there just is not enough staff. There's not enough activities. The activities, she might get one activity a day because they're, they have the group size limited to five. There's 60 mm -hmm. residents, it's a small home, but they don't have enough activities for everyone. Right. And it's, it's really heartbreaking. I can I can I can imagine. Uh, like currently, I don't have a family member in the home, but I have some friends in the home, and I'm I'm missing them terribly as well. And um, you know, not all have family members to come and visit, and so this is why I've made a point of, of getting to know some at, at Bendale that I knew when my mother was there, and uh, so I've tried to keep in touch with them, and it's very difficult difficult for for them emotionally some of them need that emotional support and they the emotional psychological with mom my mom has dementia so the emotional psychological support is, is important yes. um they've they try the technology with my sister but my, she doesn't reckon my mom doesn't recognize my sister anymore mm. and probably other family members so um before we get into what the new announcements are in terms of visitation, um, from your perspective, having dealt with this now with your with your mom in the home, uh, have you thought about how we could address this kind of pandemic or outbreak better? What kinds of things do, should we have in place um, in order to ensure that we have 
more staff and and consistent staff because we know how important it is for for our loved ones to have um, uh, you know consistency uh, yeah. in, in their care and um, you know in terms of you know how to deal with the visitation and how could that be perhaps done sooner I understand that with the new new visitation um, regulations it can't happen in any home that has a current outbreak. So it's only for those that are clean. Yes, but it doesn't also go, those are social visits. What what has been missed in all this is those that were in every single day, like myself, and supported my mother psychologically, emotionally. Some were feeding. I didn't have to feed. I would just slow her down. But those were support visits, which they have done without for three months now, going on to four months. And to be grouped into social visits as opposed to being an essential visitor, it is does nothing for the residents. They need the support and we're not giving that to them. In terms of staffing, full-time benefits. I mean, not casual all over the place. That's just cost cutting. Right. And it's also um, it's also ensuring that, that there will be a spread of any kind of yeah. outbreak, even if it's not pandemic, that if if uh, if uh, these Absolutely. Uh, PSWs, the personal support workers, have to have to hop from one home to another to make ends meet to earn a decent salary, um, then uh, then you're assured that you're going to spread any kind of any kind of virus um, or, or infection. And uh, so this is, you know, this is obviously important, but you know, you're also, you are also supporting, like I was when my mother was at the home, is that you're also giving support to the personal support worker by being there. You're then allowing them to maybe spend a little bit more time with someone that doesn't have that kind of support from family. And so you're an assistant. Yes. And so it obviously made a difference to the staff not having family members there. So that is definitely did. And uh, so these visitations are, as far as I'm concerned, just PR for the masses and not for the essential persons that were in there supporting and allowing, like you said, allowing staff to concentrate on others because they knew that you were with your mother or loved one or whomever. I guess there's a fine balance because obviously they want to keep our loved ones safe. And so they're saying, you know, um, like now, of course, with the new regulations, you're going to have to sign a waiver that you know you haven't been near anybody that has had respiratory problems, that they haven't had COVID, they haven't traveled and so on. And you're going to have to sign it in order for you to have some visitation with your loved one. Um, I, I guess that is to ensure the safety of not only your your loved one, but of the others in the, in the home. Yeah. Yes. Yes, but they deserve a quality of life and not to be in prison for endless months at a time. Yes. I mean, this is this is long-term care. It's not, they didn't commit a crime, no. and yet they're behind these caged walls without their support and just wasting away in a lot of cases, you know, maybe depending on the physical or needs, people are fine, but I know specifically for me, my mom isn't. And would you would you suggest that people who could possibly families 
who could possibly look after their loved one at home during a crisis like this, that they should be encouraged to do so. We understand there will always be residents in a home that cannot go back to their family. They need that constant support from doctors, nurses, and, and so on. And the families can't, can't look after them. But those that can, um, would, would that assist in, um, in, first of all, reducing the number in the home for the staff that are there to look, to look after them? Or, or what suggestions would you have so that you can be that constant support for your loved one during a crisis? Do you have any suggestions for our policymakers? Yes, I, I'll address your first question first. It is very difficult at the stage most of the residents are in long-term care to be able to take them out. Um, I did look into it, but I could not get the support at home because of the medical complexity. Um, and there's shortages. Again, you're going back to shortages because there's shortages in home care. And at the time that they're put into long-term care, there generally have to be a certain criteria medically to be able to be admitted. So it's very difficult to take them out and care for them. Um, and in terms of the suggestions that I have, yes, allow essential and those and staff in the residence know who were there every day and who supported the residents. Um, so I would say one to two designated as essential visitors, because they use that term, not caregivers, but essential caregiver visitors mm -hmm. uh, to be allowed with proper screening, the same screening the staff goes through, the same PPE, which from my daily visits is only a mask. There's no other PPE because it's not a COVID home. So um, washing your hands, there, there's videos too. The Ottawa Hospital has a video for PPE if it ever came to that. Um, what else? Consent form, I agree with that. And if you don't follow, then you lose the privilege of going in there because you're putting other residents at risk. But most family members will follow the guidelines any guidelines established because they don't want their loved one or anybody else to get COVID. So hopefully um, if the, uh, if this gets out to the policymakers, this suggestion that maybe that could be one of the things that they're adding to this new visitation uh, uh, suggestion in terms of your first, uh, after the first week, um, uh, after the emergency is, de is, is declared, like, as you know, the emergency has been declared until the end of June by our premier. Now, after that, if, if uh, it's no longer considered an emergency, they're going to start with these visitations. And after the first week, it will be one visit a week. And after the second, it's going to be two visits and so on. Um, Not good enough. No, no. Obviously, when, when you've got somebody who's, who's had you know, a loved one there caring for them every single day, uh, it obviously isn't. Um, and I'm just wondering whether or not they couldn't combine a suggestion like yours with what they're suggesting. Some families don't even have the time or haven't been um, on, there on a daily basis. And so, um, you know, that might work for them. 
but for so someone like yourself, for them. but for someone like yourself, and there are enough of you out there that uh, maybe that's another suggestion that they need to take under consideration. Well, Quebec has a good policy on that, other than the um, no discretion part. Uh, they have a good policy. It's all set up. They were at the table. They had people at the table that uh, pushed for it. And they have the policy all ready there. You mean so, taking in your suggestion? Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. They're all, it's all, you don't have to reinvent the wheel. No. It's already there. They've been doing it since mid-May. The only thing is they still allow discretion to the home. And in a lot of cases, in my case, I approached the home. They said no. And in a lot of cases, they will try and keep family out. Well, of course, I wasn't very, um, uh, we were all not very pleased to hear that in Quebec they had 25 homes that the military had to go in. And, and so I am hoping that that uh, with their policy that they they didn't open too soon. And, and that's maybe why they have had some problems. Let's just hope that's not the case. Um, but it was very distressing to, to learn that they had 25 homes. And that was, uh, what, nearly a week ago now. Um, and we had five at the time. I believe we are now at seven or eight. Um, so it's um, it, it really is a very difficult, difficult decision, I'm sure, for governments, for policymakers to make. Trying to balance, trying tr- trying to find that fine balance between your your needs, your mom's needs, and of course the needs of all the residents. Because I mean, to have 53 deaths in one home that we did. At Altamont, it's it's sad. One staff member of fifty three died of COVID. Yeah. At home no, I mean we, we had another twenty twenty eight uh, just fifteen minutes from here. Wow, really? Um, yeah, and you know, but you can't fix some of those four to a room. You're not going to fix. No. I didn't think that was even possible anymore. I know that in Toronto, our 10 homes, uh, we don't have four to a room anymore. They've converted the homes, and we now have maximum two to a room, other than your private rooms, but a maximum two. And uh, so thankfully, um, here in Toronto, uh, the, the 10 homes that our city is responsible for uh, only have two to a room or one. Yeah, it's the same as my mom's. Yeah facility too. It's two to a room or a private room, but there are a number of homes where outbreaks have taken place where there are four to a room with just a curtain. I think, um, can you comment on what we're reading um, and learning about uh, the, the privately run homes? Um, what What is the government doing? terms of inspections and and ensuring that they comply like our city homes do. Uh, It seems like we have a lot of cases and a lot of very disturbing news coming out of private facilities. Yes. Um, I am lucky in that my mom is in a publicly funded attached to a hospital, not physically attached to a hospital, but in terms of infection control and cetera, it's all operated under the same regional health. Um, so I think in terms of infection control, a lot of the privately run probably are not um, as 
good. And I'm saying that only because they don't generally have designated people for that. They bring in companies. I'm probably on not quite as stringent a basis as those that are attached to a hospital. And also when you do for profit, you know, cost cutting wherever you can do the dividends and pay the salaries. Well, even not for profit, even not for profit homes. Um, I understand that all the monies, extra monies, have to go back into into the home. However, we have learned that in the for-profit and non-for-profit, there have been salaries of CEOs and administrators, yep. in one case, over a million a year, and another, of course, that might have been the for-profit. But then you have to, you know, you have to wonder, um, those are some of the homes as well that we heard about a year or so ago, that they were rationing continents. So they weren't changing. They weren't changing um, the the residents. Uh, often enough, they were getting uh, infections and and so on, um, because they were rationing them just so yeah, that they could make more money. And even yeah. for not for profit, uh, although the money may go back in, but uh, they have a board of directors and they have to answer, obviously, to their board of directors. And uh, you know, you don't really have access to the board of directors. So when you've got a concern. If you uh, have a family council in that home, and if you have an administrator that isn't very keen on having an, having a family council in the home, you have no recourse. Where do you go? Because that administrator or CEO answers to the board of directors who you don't have access to. And so they would never hear anything because you have no access. So it's a very, uh, I really think that we need to take a very hard look at our long-term care um, in this province. Whether it's run by the city, the for-profit or not-for-profit, I think we should have the same standards, and I think we should also expect that they um, that they meet those standards. Yes, and inspections can't be said ahead of time or told ahead of time. Oh. I mean, that is just ridiculous. Or by the phone. I mean, yeah. seriously. I think the most recent was the optics of, of one of the homes, and I understand that that particular administrator was a former... Um, inspector and so the optics of that was wrong i think they should have realized that that um it's uh, it sent a very a very disturbing and questionable um mindset for all of us like what happened here you know why was it delayed why did they remove it from the public domain and then bring it back again with extensions when there were serious problems that needed to be fixed yeah, yeah. i think those are all things that we need to take into we need to take a lot into consideration. This issue has been going on for years. And, you know, families have brought forth a lot of things which have not been looked at. And we really need to Major be, we need to be better. Yes. I've also need, learned that we don't have a national standard. No. There is no national standard on, on long-term care throughout the country. That means that if you're in Ontario and you had to move for some reason and your loved one you know, has to be in a home in another province, um, that the standards are not, they don't have this, this similar standards. So you're at the mercy then of the province um, in terms of what what they consider to be acceptable and quality care. I think there should be a national standard, especially since the government, the Canadian government, does give money to the provinces for health care. Now, they should want to make sure that the provinces are accountable for that money that they're giving them. 
or our tax dollars, I should say. We should never talk about government. We should talk about our tax dollars and how our politicians are spending our dollars. They're not giving us anything. They are giving our money away. <laughs> and we need well, to hold them accountable. Yes. While generally provinces are in charge of health care, I think what has happened with Ontario, Quebec, is you really do need more of a national standard for this type of thing because obviously the provinces are not handling it like they should be right now mm -hmm. and, and in the past because nothing has been has been done for years that's true that's true it's been quite a long time i it's know it's been a long time yeah i i know that i i had a um my dad needed home care uh, and uh, this was, oh, I guess about oh, since 1997, 96, 97. And he needed home care and we, we got excellent service and home care. Then when my mother needed it, when she was still living with us um, and we needed some assistance, uh, by then they had already started reducing the hours that they were giving and, and, and so on. And uh, um, I, was, I was very you know, distressed to see that this was declining. That the service, like to keep to keep our residents, to keep our um, our, our seniors at home as long as they can be, uh, I think is important, and it would certainly you know save money down the road. I think um, it's it is important, but it has to be done right because my experience was it was useless. Mm -hmm. It did nothing to keep her at home, mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. you know. Yeah. Well, of course, when you have that issue. That's, yeah. that's, a, that's a difficult one. But if it's just a matter of needing some assistance, um, you know, uh, it, it might work if they were to give the hours that an individual yeah. needs. But they weren't. They were cutting back. They were cutting back constantly. Yeah. So for the last, for the last uh, I would say, uh, 17 years, this has been going on. So, unfortunately. Yeah. yeah. Is there anything else that you would like to share or add to the discussion? Uh, no, but we really do have to do better. And, you know, getting family back in is very important. I realize there's a risk, but, you know, these residents have a quality of life that where by now, towards their end of life, they do need family. And I can't stress enough, like, Family, especially those that were in there all the time, they need to be brought back in. Mm -hmm. Well, and then and gradually, you know, let's see how it goes. Bring those the most important ones back into the support, and then gradually see how it goes. Right. Mm -hmm. Well, let's hope. I mean, I'm sure that you're sharing this with with your home and with the with the powers to be. Um, from your home, who they report to, and if this ever, when this gets out to the policymakers, let's hope that they're listening. And um, at right. least if it doesn't happen this time, I think we're giving them lots of suggestions to have all that in place should uh, should this ever happen again. Let's as long as they listen. Yes, so long as they're listening, that's the important thing, right? Yeah. Yeah. Well, we can only. We can only hope that the right, um, the right decisions will be made um, for the benefit of all.
Thank you for listening to today's show. If you have any feedback on any episode or suggestions, please contact us on our social media on Twitter at Family Council, on Facebook at Family Council Collaborative Alliance, and Instagram at FCCA0020. Thank you again for listening.